Today on Blue 58, we can say this about the Packers' defensive backs for sure. There are a lot of them. Outside of Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas, are they any good? Well, again, there sure are a lot of them. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we talk about defensive backs today, a hearty... Sincere congratulations to you and to me. It is Wednesday when this podcast comes out. The Green Bay Packers are holding their first practice of the 2023 season today. There is no more offseason. There is merely season. We have reached it. Our long journey through the dark of the offseason together is finished. Congratulations. We've made it. Now let's talk about a bunch of guys we just don't know a whole lot about. That's the problem with the Packers' defensive backfield. There are a bunch of guys that we just don't know that much about. There's a bunch of other guys that we do know a lot about, and what we do know, well, frankly, isn't all that great. And there there are some guys who we do know some stuff about who play roles that are so small or unusual that it really doesn't factor into the overall Packers' defensive backfield at all. And then in their own group, by themselves, you've got Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas. We'll talk about them at the very end. Originally, this was supposed to be two episodes. It's just going to be one big episode talking about defensive backs. So let's get to it. We've got a lot of different guys to cover. As always, we're going no expectations, low expectations, moderate, and high expectations. Spoiler, the high expectations categories are going to be pretty small in this group. Because overall, it's hard to really have high expectations for any defensive back not named Alexander or Douglas on the Packers roster right now. And we'll get into why as we talk through things. Safeties. Interesting group. The Packers have shown a pronounced preference for safeties ever since a guy named Rich Passaccia showed up in town. He likes safeties a lot. He likes them for special teams. He likes them for just about every phase of special teams other than maybe the field goal game. You don't need a whole lot of safeties there, but for covering punts, for covering kicks, for returning kickoffs, safeties, safeties everywhere. The only safety for whom I have no expectations this year would be Benny Sapp III, a 2023 undrafted free agent. He has the misfortune of stepping into a defensive backfield where there are a lot of bodies. There are a lot of guys that are about the same level of I don't want to say talent. That's kind of a a nebulous word. They're about the same place in their NFL careers, and they're going to play similar roles for the Packers. How about that? Sapp would have a path to the roster if, well, if he can overcome guys like Ennis Gaines and Anthony Johnson Jr., which is a possibility. Beyond that, you start to getting into guys where the Packers have some more significant financial investments in them. And of course, that makes it a little bit more of an uphill battle. Sapp, though, does have the distinction among the undrafted free agents of of having some deep safety and box safety experience. So couple that with some pretty good athleticism. He's a prospect you can't really rule out. I would predict that it's going to be practice squad at best for him in Green Bay as of right now. But once you get on the practice squad, anything can happen. And there are some doors open For instance, one that could be potentially opening in the form of Innis Gaines, moving into our low expectations tier. Gaines is already heading into his third year with the Packers, 21, 22, and now 2023. 
after joining the Packers as an undrafted free agent out of TCU. He's appeared in eight games over the previous two years, 148 total snaps, 99 snaps on special teams last year. He's in the low expectations group because it is year three, and we're still talking about him as a special teams-only player. It's not a slight against him. That's just the reality of how he's developed over the course of his NFL career. He can do some interesting things. He's always been a heavy hitter. And I think as a, as we've emphasized throughout the life of this podcast in the last couple of years particular, as Rich Bisacci has come to town, special teams is a viable career path. So the fact that he's only a special teams player doesn't mean he's not good at football. It just means that he's maybe limited to that role. can still make good money, have a good career as a special teams only player, but that he hasn't grown out of being the special teams only player does have us lowering expectations accordingly. He meets expectations by just making the 53-man roster at some point. Given the logjam ahead of him, I would say probably not the initial 53-man roster, though he is going to stick on the practice squad. So I think we're going to see more of Innis Gaines this year. He is starting to kind of run into the territory of, well, how long can we really control him contract-wise? Would it be better to just stick with Anthony Johnson, for instance, who the Packers have under contract for the next four years as he is a draft pick? That is a question for Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst. We will see the answer to it over the course of training camp. Speaking of Anthony Johnson Jr., he comes into the Packers as a rookie seventh-round pick in the midst of a position switch. Still fairly new to playing safety, was previously like a slot corner type player. Now he's a hybrid between that sort of role and a more traditional deep safety. And he ends up in the low expectations tier because, well, he is a seventh round pick, a rookie in the midst of a position switch. How much can you really expect from a guy like that anyway? Still, good size, good athleticism. If he can contribute on special teams, he could be a really interesting developmental prospect because unlike some of the other uh, developmental safeties the Packers have had toward the back end of drafts and undrafted free agents recently, you know, think of your Henry Blacks, your Vernon Scotts, your Innes Gaines type players. Johnson, I think, has a much higher ceiling than any of those guys, given his experience at corner, given his already existing versatility in the secondary. This might be a stash and save sort of player where you put him on the roster and maybe don't play him a ton this year just to allow him to keep working on his game while he develops and just don't let somebody else steal him. If he can be an asset on special teams, that seems like a nice way to go because he does seem to have, again, more upside as an actual defensive player than some of those other guys we've talked about. So he meets expectations by sticking around and getting that chance to keep working. Brian Gutekunst repeatedly mentioned in his press conference today how good it is to see the young guys showing up ready to work on their craft. He said working on his craft in reference to a couple guys at a couple different points in this press conference, he wants to see guys that are developing and putting in the work to refine the game and talent that they do have. That is the sort of player that I think Anthony Johnson is right now, that developmental player. If he gets a chance to keep working, who knows what he can be. Prediction-wise, I'm going to say he does appear in a game at some point this year. Maybe not a ton of playing time, might just be a cameo player, but I do think he's going to get out onto the field at some point this year. Surprise name maybe in the low expectations tier, Dallin Levitt. Second year special team psycho safety, played 300 snaps on special teams last year, 308 to be precise. 
348, might be 306. It's right in that neighborhood, just over 300 snaps. But he did play 348 in Las Vegas the previous year, so 600-plus snaps on special teams over two seasons. Rich Bisaccia likes him a lot. Also played 249 snaps on defense in Las Vegas in 2021. But exactly how many? Zero for the Packers last year. Probably for the better, better they don't need another safety who really can't do all that much in their secondary at this point. He maybe should be a moderate expectations player, but it's hard to go higher than, well, just the low tier for a guy whose only job is special teams. Again, very much an asset there. Just his impact on the Packers roster is going to be pretty small this year outside of special teams. So he's got to lock up that job again. I think he will. I think he's top three in special team snaps again, and he records five or more special teams tackles this year. Heading to our moderate expectations tier, which is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time as we talk about the safeties this time around, we start with Tervarius Moore. He and Jonathan Owens are kind of two sides of the same coin. Tervarius Moore has been more of a special teams player, though he has done a little bit on on defense over his time uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. Jonathan Owens, a little bit more on defense, a little bit less on special teams. Moore comes to Green Bay after five years with the 49ers, one of which was totally ruined by a torn Achilles. And so what you have here in the modern expectations tier is a 27-year-old safety who's never started more than eight games in a season and who is two years removed from a torn Achilles tendon. That's pretty much a moderate expectations player if I've ever heard one. Has stuck around in the NFL for a fairly long time already. Some significant red flags. Like Jonathan Owens, the game here is really just to stick, and I think he will. He seems like another Bisaccia handpicked player, just wants him for his special teams acumen, and there's a lot to like, I think, athletically about more even post-Achilles tear. I also think he's going to start a game at some point for the Packers this year. There's just too many guys in that sort of glut of safeties in, in about the same band, it seems, talent-wise. Why not? He may break out at some point, and if there's a single injury at safety, the entire room gets reshuffled. Why can't he start a game this year? also think he's going to crack 200 special team snaps as well. Jonathan Owens, meanwhile, comes to the Packers as another one of their free agent signings this offseason, coming to Green Bay after a career year last year. Started more games than he ever had in his career, uh, more than 120 tackles for the Houston Texans, And yet the fact that he signed with the Packers in mid-May should tell you a lot about the nature of that career year and what the rest of the NFL thought about it. It's the best that he ever was, and the rest of the NFL is just kind of like, that's fine, good for you, quiet claps. And he ends up in Green Bay on another, well, not another, on a short deal, trying to prove things all over again. Tough business professional sports sometimes. The best you can do... You put up a, some good numbers on a bad team, and everybody's like, okay, that, that's fine. We understand. We're good. We're all set. And so he ends up in Green Bay, which is not a bad place to be if you're a safety in, you know, in a, hoping to repeat a career year on a bad defense. Because if I don't know if the Packers' defense as a whole is going to be bad, but let's say there are going to be some opportunities at safety. I think that's a pretty safe conclusion that just about everybody who talks about the Packers has come to. It's hard to go higher than moderate expectations, though, on any Packers safety. He's got to just hold on to a roster spot, get into that safety rotation, and then who knows from there, maybe the Joe Barry defense will prove to be a really good fit for him. 
Like Moore, I think he is going to start a game for the Packers at some point this year. I think he's going to log more snaps on defense than Tarverius Moore, but both of them, I think, are going to be behind Rudy Ford, our second-to-last safety for this year. He's coming off a career year as well in Green Bay, and we use career year in air quotes there a little bit. Yes, appropriately low expectations. The Packers are his fourth NFL team, did have three interceptions last year, including two, I believe it was against the Dallas Cowboys. He is the de facto starter next to Darnell Savage, but given that we haven't seen all that much of him in his career to date, and we don't expect all that much about the Packers' safety group anyway, moderate seems pretty good for him. He's got to show that his midseason flash in relief of Savage last year wasn't just a flash in the pan. I think he is going to start the most games of Packers safeties not named Darnell Savage. It seems to be his job to lose next to Savage. And look, speed and athleticism is there. Who knows what he could become if he has a little bit more playing time. We had uh, a couple people in our Discord server talking about how Rudy Ford just needed to get more opportunities last year, and they turned out to be right. Now, he did tail off fairly quickly, but he wasn't any worse than Darnell Savage. Maybe in another year in the system, he can be even better. Now, speaking of Darnell Savage, normally a former first-round pick would automatically get slotted into the high expectations group, especially since he's on his fifth-year option. Other than Ford, he's the only noteworthy returning veteran in this group. And yet... We are in year five after essentially four years of apologies. Excuses, explanations, apologies. It just hasn't worked out for Darnell Savage so far this year, so far in his career. And dating back to when the Packers picked up his fifth-year option after his third year in the NFL, I think there was reason to defend that move at the time. But since then, it's become a bit of an albatross a small albatross relative to the dead cap the Packers are absorbing for guys like, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers. But still, not nothing. Eight and a half million dollars or whatever it is against the cap could have gone a long way toward shoring up other areas of this team heading into the first year of the Jordan Love era. As it stands, expectations really can't be high for Darnell Savage anymore. I'm picking on the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast a little bit, but I just happened to hear it this morning as I was driving to work doing their overall preview of the offense and defense, they, the three hosts really, made a point of saying that Darnell Savage still has potential to become something in the secondary. That may be true, but consider, not counting playoffs, he has played in 62 regular season games for the Packers. If there is still untapped potential there, it has been well hidden, and two... I can't say accomplished, but two longtime NFL defensive coordinators have been unable to really unearth it. On top of that, Jerry Gray, an equally long-tenured defensive coach in the NFL, was also not able to unlock it. And look, Mike Pettin, Joe Barry, both limited in their own ways as coordinators. Both We've criticized both at times on this podcast quite extensively. But they're not idiots. Like, we know that guys stick around in the NFL for for the wrong reasons all the time. But they know football to an extent. They know good football players. They know bad football players. Yeah, they've made mistakes and things like that. But 
they don't seem inept enough to not get, not be able to tap the untapped stardom of Darnell Savage. Surely any defensive coordinator worth their salt, if there was a guy who 60-some games into his NFL career was still a burgeoning star that just hadn't been in the right situation yet, surely they could have found it. Surely Petten or Barry could find something to do with that sort of player that makes them look better than they've been to this point. Yes, they haven't been great coordinators in the NFL, but they also know enough to be a defensive coordinator at the NFL level and not look like entirely embarrassed themselves, both with their shortcomings at time. But still, you'd think they could have found something in Darnell Savage to this point. Maybe there is untapped potential there, but it just hasn't shown up yet. So how does he meet expectations? We need some steps forward. Be less of a liability than he's been over the past couple of seasons. Big improvement needs to come in tackling. I predict that he improves his missed tackle rate from last year. I predicted that last year as well. It didn't come to pass. Fool me twice, shame on me, I guess. I think he's also going to snag two or more interceptions this year. We're setting the bar fairly low. Now, normally I pause here to give some shout-outs to our Patreon supporters, and we'll do that in future episodes, but I want to make you aware of an alternative to Patreon, if that's something that you are interested in. We are also on Substack, and it's something that I want to use more this year. Substack is a email newsletter service, but it also lets us offer some of the same benefits that Patreon does. So we've been dipping our toes in the water there throughout this off-season, would like to make you aware of it now. If you head to thepowersweep.substack.com, you can subscribe for free and get just all the basic content produced by The Power Sweep sent directly to your inbox. So every time we write an article, it will go out to you. You will not get the bonus content that would be on our Patreon, but you have the opportunity to unlock it if you would choose to become a paid, paid, or a paid Substack supporter there. So you've been on the internet. You understand how this works. It's super easy. It's convenient. Some people don't like Patreon for a variety of reasons. I, I totally understand that. This is another opportunity for you. It's a backup in case something would happen to Patreon. And it's just another way for us to get content in front of your eyes. So consider heading to Patreon, or excuse me, heading to thepowersweep.substack.com, checking that out. There's also a link in your show description. Now, over on the cornerback side, you've got a lot more bodies and a lot more striated, I think, um, position group, really. More guys at different levels of the position. We have everybody, we have guys in, in every tier here. None, low, moderate, and high. And that, I think, is a pretty good place for the Packers defensive back room, cornerback room, to be in. So let's dive into these cornerbacks, starting with our no expectations here. Uh, tier. We've got Tyrell Ford, William Hooper. Neither of them really big surprises there, but Surprise name, no expectations. How about Shamar John Charles? It hasn't worked. Small, unathletic, relatively unathletic compared to NFL football players, not to normal people. You understand what I'm saying. Not a good fit for what the Packers have wanted at defensive back. At this point, I, I don't expect anything from him at all. And I'm surprised that he's even made it this far through the offseason. I was a little bit surprised the Packers didn't cut bait after the 2022 season. In any case, he gets another shot here. But I would not 
really be all that surprised if the Packers move on. In fact, I would predict that this is going to be the end for him because there are other guys that are going to have more potential, starting with a guy like Keandre Thomas, one of the stars of camp last year. Still fairly low expectations guy, still developing as a corner, but I think he's going to get a real shot to make the 53-man roster this year. I don't think he does, but he does end up on the practice squad, and that is partly because he's going to be competing with a guy like Carrington Valentine, one of, for my money, the more intriguing day three picks that the Packers made, and they sure made a lot of them. He is still a day three pick on a pretty defensive back full team, but he's a good athlete. He played in a good conference, and he's got some pretty good size. Seems to play well in a man-heavy scheme. Well, that is working against him because Joe Barry, of course, doesn't love playing man-to-man defense, but if he fits in any kind of role as a rookie day three pick, that is a mark in his favor. So he's just got to show out, got to flash, find his way to show that there is something worth keeping and developing here. I think there is, and I think he's going to appear in a game for the Packers at some point this year. Now, Carrington Valentine is not to be confused with Corey Ballantyne, different player, different person, who comes into his second year with the Packers after playing essentially only on special teams last year. 106 snaps on special teams, 17 on defense. And I think there's a world where he gets a crack at returning kicks and nobody ever hears of Keyshawn Nixon. Isn't that a funny what if? Because he was signed by the Packers in part because he has NFL experience returning kicks. Considerably more NFL experience returning kicks than Keyshawn Nixon. Isn't that a funny little what if? If the Packers had turned to the guy who has actual experience returning kicks instead of the guy they they believed could do it, would we have ever seen what Keyshawn Nixon could do returning kickoffs last year? We'll never know, but it's an interesting thing to think about. It's always interesting to see uh, how close some guys may come. As with all low expectations players, he's just got to make it by sticking with the roster in whatever form that takes. I think he cracks 100 snaps on special teams again, more playing the role that Rudy Ford and Keyshawn Nixon were expected to play last year. And speaking of Keyshawn Nixon, he is next on our list as we move up to the moderate expectations tier. He comes into year two after an unexpectedly great year one in Green Bay. He did really, really well playing both slot corner and returning kicks and returning punts as well, which is impressive in and of itself. It's more impressive when you sit and think for a second that he really had no experience doing either of those things that he did really well last year. He had not played very much in the slot, and that was something we even talked about last year at about this time. The Packers were really excited about what he could do in the slot. He just, it had been like three dozen snaps there in his NFL career to this point. And then he played 400 400 snaps last year, probably would have played more had the Packers not wanted to take him off special teams, you know, wanted to keep him back there doing what he could do obviously very well in exchange for, you know, a few fewer snaps on on defense. On top of that, despite leading the NFL in kickoff return yards last year, taking one back for a touchdown, he had practically no experience doing that in the NFL before last season. Six career kickoff returns in the NFL before last year. And yet he becomes an all-pro. Why still moderate expectations then? He seems like very much the definition of a role player. 
In fact, he's so much of a role player that he has two roles, slot corner and kickoff returner. If that raises your expectations to high, I think that's fine. I just don't expect the same sort of results from him this year, given the changes the NFL has made to the kickoff rule. He's got to find out, figure out how to still be a force on special teams while not letting his special teams acumen take away from where the Packers, I think, could really use him, which is in the slot on defense. Prediction-wise, I think he's going to return fewer than 25 kicks this year, in part due to the rule change. If you went lower than that, if you said under 20, maybe even under 15, I would not be surprised either. Just the, the field position is going to be too hard, I think, to pass up. He is also going to play more than 350 snaps in the slot, which is a slight step down from last year, but I think the Packers are going to have some interesting decisions to make in their defensive backfield, in part because of Eric Stokes, our next guy up. He comes into his third year after a pretty dismal second season all around. Had a disastrous injury last year, one from which he is still recovering, and was pretty bad prior to the injury through the first eight weeks of the season last year. I think, in my mind at least, I barely remember him playing in that first half of the season because maybe you just blotted out of your memory. But looking back, I always feel like he got injured in like week three or week four, but it was all the way in week nine. He was just so much of a non-factor that you can barely even remember him playing last year, even before the injury. That's why he ends up in this moderate expectations tier, despite being a third-year first-round pick. Bad injury last year was bad last year before the injury. And on top of that, I don't even really know how to level set for Eric Stokes this year. What do you expect from him? What is he going to be like, first and foremost, post-injury, just physically, because his big selling point was his insane athleticism. Incredibly fast, great leaper, some struggles in the agility drills, sure, but a very, very good athlete. Is he still that player coming off a major foot and ankle injury? In addition to that, I guess just don't be a liability, which is essentially what he was when he was on the field last year, just could not get things going prior to that injury. And it's not exactly clear why. I would predict that he's going to play fewer than 575 snaps on defense this year. Just don't see a big role for him, especially if the Packers aren't really going to try to hustle him back. Now, they've said that he's going to be ready at some point during training camp. I don't know if I believe that. I think for both him and Rashawn Gary, there's really no reason to rush. You've got other guys around. Just come back slowly from that injury. You've got six weeks if you go on the pup list. The Packers have their bye in week six. Week seven, they head to Denver. So maybe don't make your debut for the season at altitude. But week eight, you're back at Lambeau Field. Rashawn Gary, Eric Stokes, maybe that's the game the Packers really want to bring them back. I don't think there's a reason to rush. If we all understand where the Packers are as an organization this year, why are you hurrying back? What's there to hurry back for? Take your time. Get healthy. Both Gary and Stokes will be worth much more to the Packers and to themselves if they're playing when they're healthy instead of trying to rush back while they are still recovering. Take your time. Get back when you're 100%, not 80% or 85% or 90% just because you think you can do it. I think the Packers' injury staff is going to be conservative with them, as they always are. 
I just don't think there's any reason to rush at all. Just be extra conservative. These sound like two pretty serious injuries. We know ACL injuries are. Let it let it heal. Let it come back slow. There's no rush for either of these guys. Finally, high expectations, and I don't think we even have to spend all that much time on either Rasul Douglas or Jair Alexander. We know the story pretty well here. Rasul Douglas comes into his third year here in Green Bay, one of the great in-season pickups, I think, in Packers history. Easy to conv- or to forget that he was the consolation prize back in 2021. Jair Alexander is hurt. Eric Stokes get, gets dinged up a little bit. bit. Uh, Kevin King is hurt that season as well. There's a blast from the past for you. The Packers needed help in the secondary. And do you rem- remember who they thought that they were getting? Stephon Gilmore was on the outs in New England, and it looked like he was going to get cut right up until he didn't and got traded to the Carolina Panthers instead. The Packers still needed to make a move. In comes Rasul Douglas off the Arizona Cardinals practice squad, and the rest, as they say, is history. There's really no reason he wouldn't be in the high expectations tier. And to meet those expectations, he's just got to keep being Rasul Douglas, the trash-talking, swaggering, versatile, fun guy. There are some limitations to Rasul Douglas, but I think that's well known at this point. Sometimes he's a little bit up and down. Sometimes faster receivers can get the better of him. You take the bad with the good. And there's a lot of good in Rasul Douglas's game. Maybe he does even end up playing some snaps at safety this year. I wouldn't be... I would be a little bit surprised to see that, just given how the Packers have talked about where they want him, what's going on with Eric Stokes and things like that. His best position seems to be cornerback. But anything can happen, I suppose. I would be surprised to see it, though. I do, however, predict he's going to get four or more interceptions this year. That would be the third year in a row he cracks that that figure. He's just a ball-hawking sort of dude, and I think he's going to do it. Fun fact, Rasul Douglas is currently tied with a Green Bay Packers, not Green Bay Packers Hall of Famer, Pro Football Hall of Famer, with nine interceptions in his career. Could you guess who that is? You never will guess. Tony Canadeo. The great Packers back had nine career interceptions on defense. Rasul Douglas has tied him so far with nine through his two seasons in Green Bay. If he gets at least four interceptions this year, he'll crack into the top 40 in Packers history in terms of interceptions. I think he'll he'll do that. I think he'll get four more this year. He'll make the Pro Bowl, first-time Pro Bowler, and then he will also score a defensive touchdown. He had two his first season with the Packers, had one taken away from him last year on kind of a, a phony call. He gets back into the end zone this year, and I think, to spoil at least one prediction remaining here, Jair Alexander does too. Jair comes in as, I think, the Packers' best defensive player right now. I think he has surpassed Kenny Clark, and with Rashawn Gary still on the mend, he is the top dog on this Packers' defense. For obvious reasons. He is one of the most highly paid. He's really good. And he seems to be ready to take on a more vocal leadership role the further in his career that he becomes. He's just got to keep being that guy. I don't see any reason for slippage here in this season. He's going to keep playing at a high level, going to keep being the Jair Alexander that we know he is. I'm interested to see, and I don't even I can't even make a prediction on it, but where the Packers end up playing him this year. Does he play inside at all? If teams want to put their best receiver in the slot, does he follow their best receiver in there? How does Joe Barry utilize him this year? I can't make a prediction because I don't think anybody can predict what Joe Barry will do. But still, Jair will be there. 
giving you every bit of the Jair Alexander experience, whether it's on the outside or the inside. I think four or fewer interceptions for Jair this year. Getting a lot of picks has never really been his game. Had a career-high five last year, but I don't think that repeats. I think it's four or fewer for Jair this year. He will, However many he gets, he will have fewer than Rasul Douglas. However, I do think he finds the end zone for the Packers' defense this year for the first time in his career. And really, I want nothing more this season than to see what Jair Alexander does if and when he scores a touchdown. He's due. I think it's going to happen, and I can't wait for when it does. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. The final position preview. We are into the season. It has arrived. Thank you for sticking with us throughout the entire offseason. Congratulations again. You've made it. Your patience has been rewarded. Now let's enjoy a great season together. Again, if you enjoyed this episode and you think someone else would enjoy it as well, I would appreciate it if you would share this episode with that lucky individual. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.